You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. You know, I always hate how every time we start recording, we talk about, oh, well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> what do you want us <laughs> to talk about? It is the morning. It's early in the morning. Well, what if someone's listening to us at night in bed? We should say good evening because that's our oh, whole thing. Oh, right. Good evening. Actually, we say good evening to each other all the time. The reason that name came about is because there's a vine where a guy, like, slide. I don't even know how to explain it. He, like, slides <laughs> down this icy hill, and he's wearing a robe, and he has, like, a book or something. I don't even And he just looks at the camera, and he goes, good evening. <laughs> so we say that to each other all the time at all times of the day. Yes. I feel like the mic is pointed to you and you only. Oh, hold on. Fixed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, good thing we're not being recorded. Hold on, hold on. I want to move closer. How? Okay, but you you want to be like in front of me? Hello? Okay. No, I want to be right here. Okay, we're good. We're Can good. everyone hear us? Hello. God, this mic setup this morning was a little scooch rooney and cheese. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was set like. up. Someone was like seven feet tall recording here, and we like <laughs> sit on stools, so we had to bring it down, and it was a whole thing. It was but a we, thing. We do it for you. We do. I do it for myself, actually. I don't care. I'm just kidding. I love my listeners. Our listeners. <laughs> yeah, come, hello. We only have like 70. <laughs> we love all of you guys. Yeah, we um, do. I'm getting, well, we have 69 followers right now on Twitter. That is pretty much the most important thing that's I ever s- happened. I got a thing saying someone followed, but I think they were following my personal Twitter. Oh, but okay. I, I was like, damn it. <laughs> that was so short-lived. <laughs> Um, we would like more. Let's get 100 followers. Then we could be 169 followers. So nice. That's yeah. our next goal. <laughs> cool. You'll see a new tweet from us when we hit 169. Yeah. That Just wait for it. Yeah. Um, so what's going on? What's new, everyone? I don't know. Not much. Yeah. Should we get into Just right into our hits and shits? Well, I have a couple corrections corners. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So first of all, I misspoke during when I was relaying like the tuberculosis numbers. Yeah. Oh, so no. That's w- a, that was a corrections corner from the... Or that was a clarification corner from the week before. So we're gonna. I'm just gonna clarify. So last year, 10 million people fell ill from tuberculosis worldwide, and 1.6 million people died. I said 1.6 billion people died. Oh, 1.6 well, million. It. Yeah, I know. People listening don't got it. <laughs> They're like, you need to be better, and I'm like, uh, you try recording at 7:45 in the morning. Yeah. Why don't you make your own podcast? <laughs> Um, I also might have offhandedly said that Edgar Allan Poe died of tuberculosis because I had you didn't, but you didn't say for that you knew for sure. You said you thought he died from it. Correct, because I took my eighth grade English class was entirely Edgar Allan Poe for whatever reason. That'd be like me as an eighth grade teacher. (laughs) Exactly, this guy loved Edgar Allan Poe, and so we did all the Poe shit. We went to the Poe house in Philadelphia, whatever. And I remember vividly being like there being a tuberculosis story in his life, Mm -hmm. and I thought in my old age, that it was him. And it is not. It was his mother who died of tuberculosis, and I believed it, like, in fact, effect, affected, affected? Affected him. Yes, and affected his work. Sure. I don't Whatever. know. Anyway, so nobody really knows how Poe died. Um, he was found in the streets of Boston, or Baltimore, excuse me, oh, my God, completely, like, <laughs> delirious um, and in great distress and in need of immediate assistance, apparently. Um, and it, newspapers at the time reported that Poe died of congestion of the brain or cerebral inflammation, which was basically just saying alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, but people speculate potentially that other- He was killed. <gasps> by the raven. <laughs> 
um, died potentially of heart disease, epilepsy, syphilis, men- meningeal inflammation, cholera, or rabies. Or all of them all together. <laughs> yeah, so take your pick. <laughs> anyway, so that's Poe for you. Cool. Cool. Well, now you know. Now you know. Um, all right, now are you ready for hit some shit? Let's hit it and shit it. I don't really know. I, I need to be more I need to be more better. I need to be better at picking my shits. I do have some hits though. Cool. So this was in the Palo Pasco A V Club. Yes. Crossword from yesterday, which was Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. And then also this also was in um which McCall's Was it um Christopher Adams? Yes, and Christopher Adams. What? What? That was the. Uh, it's just called a day at the Roxbury freestyle. Yeah. yeah. Was that just his own? That's his most okay. recent. At the time, was his most recent. Um, but they both had wrecked as uh, an answer. R e k t. Yes. Um, I don't have the clue for Christopher because it was on the second page, and I only took a picture of the first page. <laughs> but um, for Paolo, he said completely destroyed in reading off palm. Fortnite, <laughs> um, which is a great clue. Yeah, and uh, wrecked is just such internet speak. Sorry, that tended to not come out right, but it just like yeah. it's surprising to see that in a crossword. Yeah, um, I was even when I first saw it, I was like, wait, is it wrecked? I, I didn't yeah. know how to spell it, but um, the Urban Dictionary defines it as a term for the word wrecked, like W R E C K E D. Wrecked means a player got completely destroyed, usually in first-person shooter games. Wrecked. Um, it also means as, uh, so drunk you've forgotten your name but can just about type a text to your mate who missed called you. This is the Urban Dictionary. Dictionaries, these things aren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Urban Dictionary is like people use these words. I know, you know? but the definition for this is just not. Oh, yeah. Type a text to your mate who's missed called you, who has missed called you. I don't know. Hello? It's like who you got a missed call from. Anyways. Right. Who, who wrote that? Who wrote that one? Um, possibly could. Okay, I will. So. That's thank you. Possibly could. Okay, I will. <laughs> I'm just gonna make a Urban Dictionary. Oh my gosh! Sorry, I'm just reading all these <laughs> usernames on Urban Dictionary. It's it's a fun time. Um, I do have a couple hits from um, Palo's. Yeah, his was really fun. He yeah, it was very really, really also, good. Like, he, how old is he? Yeah, I know. We love you, Palo. Um, <laughs> and you make us feel bad about ourselves. <laughs> You make us strive to be better, sort of. Anyway, so I liked 17 Across, which was quality lacking in millennials to their detractors, and the answer was work ethic. Yeah. I like that just because I feel, as a millennial, often put down by people who are in older generations or who I just know. don't understand, like, I, kind of like the I don't picking, up, go down picking this up the pieces. Hole, yeah, the picking up of the pieces of, like, our generation, and, like, sometimes we feel like we're just know the that the world. people with PhDs are, like, working at Starbucks, so don't. Talk to us about work ethic. Yeah, please. Not the same. You can't, like, buy a house with a high school education anymore. Yeah, no. I mean, maybe in some parts of the country still, but. Yeah. Not in this part. That's right. Um, Another really good one is 25 Down, which was a fictional place whence all good food per Guy Fieri. (laughs) Flavor Town, baby. Yee! (laughs) I never thought of Flavor Town as, like, an actual location. Yeah, that was fun. And thanks, Paolo. That was really fun. Um, I do have a couple more hits and shits. I mean, they're not really shits. The Saturday crossword was by Anna Gundlach and Eric Agard. Which, from the New York Times. From the New York Times. Um, and the puzzle as a whole was really fun. I think it was just kind of like, there's like slang and, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, one across was what 
Okay, so I want to talk to you about this. Okay, one across. What takes motion out of motion pictures? Question mark. The answer was Steadicam. Okay. Yeah, okay. Which is creative, but when we put it in, Matt, ki- Matt being my boyfriend, kind of got a little frustrated because the whole point of a Steadicam is to create motion in motion pictures, right? Yeah. But that's if you're thinking of, quote, motion pictures as, like, films and not pictures that are moving. So if you're, like, removing motion from pictures that are moving, it is to smooth them out, right? Yeah. Because a Steadicam is to, like, move the picture, but in a smooth way. Yeah. Maybe they could have clarified it and been like, uh, I mean, this wouldn't sound that good, but like taking like shaky motion out of motion picture or something more like that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a Saturday, so I know they're like trying to be like ultra, you know, stumpy. But yeah. Anyway, I wonder who wrote that clue. Let us know if it was you. <laughs> um, another one was 15 across drunk in modern slang. Wrecked. Turned, yeah. <laughs> but wrecked would have been funny. Um, but it, I think, like, it's a Saturday, and you did not need in modern slang. I think drunk, and then the answer being turned, would have been fine. I feel like that is something that might have gotten through in the New Yorker crossword. Yeah, you know, whereas like New York Times is putting like in modern slang. It's like, fuck you. It's not. It's just people say that. I don't know. Whatever. Um, and then a certain online food critic was twenty went across. The answer was Yelper. I think it probably would have been funnier if it was just online food critic, honestly, because certain online food critic, I think they're trying to say that it's not like a legitimate food critic. Yeah. But I think what makes it funny is if you would just say online food critic and the answer is Yelper. Yeah. You I know? can see that. Anyway. And then um, this one I thought you would have really, really liked. 62 across. Start of an anti-coal petition. Anti-coal uh, like letter to Santa, dear Santa, or something? dear Santa is the answer. Boom, yeah, baby, she's good. Um, but yeah, that was like I filled that in. I was like, Grace would fucking love this. Yeah, clip. I do like that. Um, anyway, so that was a really cool. good puzzle. Yeah, overall, I wish I could have been there. <laughs> but I don't do puzzles on the weekend. No, I just don't have a New York Times subscription. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> shall we go into our thingies? We should go into our thingies. Shall I flip it? Flip the coin, baby. Let me flip in the coin. Stop. You're doing that right into the mic. Oh, yeah. Poor Tails. Is that me? I'm Tails. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. So mine is from the Tuesday New York Times by uh, Lynn Lempel. Yes. And the clue is 13 across. Oh, my God. I was so nervous that you were going to pick mine. <laughs> oh. It's a Norwegian city with the Munch Museum. Nice. And first of all. Is it Munch? Like Edvard Munch? Well, yes. Okay, but sorry. I'm going to say munch. Okay, cool. <laughs> I guess I'd say munch. I don't know. I don't actually know. I, I, always... I don't know. I didn't look up the pronunciation of his name in my research. I guess <laughs> I'm just not that thorough. But um, basically, if there's ever like a Norwegian city in a crossword clue, it's like 90% of the time going to be Oslo. Yes. They love to use that. Yeah. Um, but I thought the munch museum was maybe like a, <laughs> like <laughs> a cool food museum because I'm uncultured. <laughs> Uh, but it's not. <laughs> uh, but it's still interesting. So it, let's do. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So let me go into my notes. Okay. So the Munch Museum. <laughs> um, it's an art museum in Oslo, and it's dedicated to the life and works of the Norwegian artist Edvard Munch. Um, so he was born in Norway in 1863, back in the day. And uh, you, oh, you would probably know him. His most famous work is The Scream. The Scream. Um, so, yeah. 
So you do know him, even if you think you don't. There's also a film about him. Anyway, but you might have talked about it. So I didn't. Okay. Um, okay. So his mom died when he was five from tuberculosis. <gasps> <laughs> Thematic. Yeah. Um, his older sister also died from tuberculosis a few years later when she was 15. Thank God we didn't live during that time. I know. I mean, technically, I guess we could still die of tuberculosis. Yeah, 1.3 million people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. So his aunt came and helped raise him, just like the Bronte sisters. Wow. Oh, All my God. Aunts, I'm not about to – well, I am an aunt, but <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like a lot. Because uh, so, he had, like, four other siblings. Um, his dad was super religious and also had a lot of mental health issues. And so they were, they always had money problems. They moved from apartment to apartment. He had a very dark childhood and his father was always scaring him into thinking that he would have the same mental issues as him. And he was quoted as saying, my father was temperamentally nervous and obsessively religious to the point of psychoneurosis. From him, I inherited the seeds of madness. The angels of fear, sorrow, and death stood by my side since the day I was born. So. God (laughs) damn. (laughs) He had really a... So, pretty much a normal childhood. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, that's what it takes to become a famous artist, apparently. You got to go through the struggle. Uh, So, eventually as he got... Well, in high school, he was already starting to paint. And then as he got older, um, he began to live a bohemian life under the influence of Hans Jaeger. I know. Am I pronouncing that wrong? Do you know this guy? I don't know. I don't know that guy. He's like a famous uh, Norwegian writer, philosopher, and anarchist political activist. Sounds like he could be my best friend. He started some like Bohemia group. So he was really into that type of lifestyle. And he's the one who urged um, Edvard to paint his own emotional and psychological state, a.k.a. soul painting, because at this time it was less about like what you, I mean, I don't know a lot about art history, but like most painting, uh, it was like landscapes or and people and portraits and stuff. And mm-hmm. he wanted, he encouraged him to paint like what he felt on the inside. <gasps> um, so this type of soul painting would develop into his signature style, his distinctive nice. style. Um, so as he grew up, he lived, he moved out of Norway. He lived in Paris and Germany. Um, he had a couple famous art series one was the sick child and that was about his sister so there's a lot of paintings of a sick child in her deathbed in a chair damn um and then he also created the freeze of life poem about life love and death this was like his most famous series um it depicted deeply felt themes such as love anxiety jealousy and betrayal (sighs) it included 22 paintings that had names like despair melancholy anxiety (laughs) jealousy and the scream (gasps) So this was when the scream happened. And this is kind of when, after that series, The Freeze of Life, is when he became famous. Um, His art became, like, collectibles. At least among critics, like, the general public was still kind of scared of his paintings. (laughs) They were usually really dark. Um, But, like, he was critically acclaimed at this point. So he moved back to Norway in Oslo, and he lived there for the rest of his life. Uh, He never got married, and he always struggled with his mental health. In 1908, he checked himself into a sanatorium because he was hearing voices. Oh, no. Um, Edvard. Yeah, you do not want to go into a sanatorium in no. <laughs> the early 1900s. Uh, he went through electroshock therapy. God damn. And one of his uh, therapists or psychologists told him to stop drinking in public. <laughs> like, cool. stop public drinking. Nice. Okay. Um, so he still drank in private. But he did stop drinking in public. Um, he also, like, you know broke ties with some of his toxic friends. Um, he made it out, and he said that he felt better. He lived for another 35 years after that, because at this point he really thought he was, like, 
he was like he has been quoted saying he was touch and go. So he really thought this was the end of his life. So he checked into the sanatorium and he claims that it made him, he got out and he was feeling better. So he lived on for another 35 years. Um, but the pieces he produced in this time were mostly landscapes and lacked the dark themes from his pe- previous pieces. Hmm. So vibrant colors and loose, loose brush strokes made the paintings from this time feel more optimistic and even joyful. Okay. So, well, like good for him, but yeah. for his art. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what at what cost? Yeah. Um, okay. So he basically lived in like isolation from then on. He just like lived in his house in Norway and painted. Okay. Which is the dream. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think he was kind of lonely. But in the oh. 1930s and 1940s, the Nazis labeled Munch's work as degenerate art, and they removed his 82 works from German museums. Shite. Scheiße. In 1940s, Germans invaded Norway, Mm. and the Nazi party took over the government. Munch was 76 years old at the time, and he had his, like, entire art collection on the second floor of his house, and he was, he lived in fear that the Nazis would come and confiscate all his art. Holy heck, and I have So that's another reason why he was kind of just, like, very closed off. Um, so 71 of the 82 paintings that the Nazis had, um, removed from the German museums were eventually returned through Norway through the purchase, um, through purchases of art collectors. This includes the scream and the sick child. And these paintings were also hidden from the Nazis at this time. Um, weirdly when he died in 1944, um, right before his 80th birthday, the Nazis hosted his funeral. So... Uh, yeah. So at the time, it was seen as a propaganda move intended to rebrand him as a Nazi sympathizer when Munch could no longer renounce them. Uh, so there's all this like weird stuff about was he a Nazi supporter? Was he not? Um, from the stuff I read, it seems like he wasn't, especially because he tried to like hide everything from the Nazis. But like at the time, some people did because the Nazis hosted his funeral. They thought he was like a Nazi sympathizer. God damn. Um, So at the end of his life, the Nazis did not end up getting all his paintings. He donated them them all to the city of Oslo, hence the Munch Museum. And and they love him in Oslo. His face is on the 1,000 kroner note. So he's on the money there. Um, Okay. So I want to talk more about The Scream, even though, like, some of the things I read were like, he's done more than The Scream. But (laughs) it's like, yeah, we know. But I feel like The Scream is most accessible to people. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, So the real name of it is The Scream of Nature. Wow. It's known as the modern era's Mona Lisa and is said to depict the anxiety of modern man. Am okay, right? that is exactly <laughs> yeah. what you and I look like in the kitchen every day when exactly. we're like, we're like, where's the arugula? <laughs> anxiety. Um, okay, so the inspiration was Munch has said that he was out for a walk at sunset in Oslo um, when the sunset that was or the sun that was setting, uh, turned the clouds a blood red, and he sensed an infinite scream passing through nature. So Damn. that was his, his inspiration I love for that. it. Um, scholars have found the spot um, in Oslo. They've claimed that this is the spot. It overlooks a fjord. Ford? Yes, fjord. fjord. Um, and they suggest that... Uh, some other explanations for the unnaturally orange sky could have been the effects of a volcanic eruption or a psychological reaction by Munch because at the time his younger sister was recently committed to um, a lunatic asylum. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this, but like right when like a storm is about to roll in sometimes too, like especially later in the evening, the sky turns this like crazy orange color. Yeah. And you look outside and you're like, I think it's the end of times, you know, but it's just the storm and it's almost nighttime. Yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah, it could be. I mean, he's... Basically, I fi- I've cracked the puzzle. So, <laughs> so you buy Chelsea's art. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no. He, so, like, at the time that he painted the scream, his younger sister... Because did have the same mental issues as his dad did, and she was committed to, like, a lunatic asylum, which is different than a sanatorium because you don't come out of those. Yeah. Um, so there's four versions of the scream. There, yes. It's done in paint, pastels, and then a lithograph stone. Um, and it was stolen twice. <gasps> well, not the same painting, but both two versions of the scream were stolen. Oh, my God. So in 1994, on February 12th, it was the same day as the opening of the 1994 Winter Olympics. In It was in Lillehammer, Lillehammer which is yeah. also in Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone was, like, distracted with the Olympics. Two men broke into the National Gallery and stole the National Gallery's version of the scream. And they left a note that said, thanks for the poor security. <laughs> OMG. I love it. I mean, obviously, I don't like when people steal art, but that is... Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. So because of the Olympics, um, the painting had been moved to a second-story gallery, um, and the gallery refused to pay the $1 million in USD, the equivalent of what that would be. Um, they refused to pay, pay that ransom. But eventually, the British police and the Getty Museum worked with the Norway officials, and they helped find the robbers and recovered the painting. Damn. So they did get it back. So that was in 1994. So then in, 10 years later, in 2004... The 1910 version was stolen when masked gunmen entered the Munch Museum and stole it and Munch's Madonna, which is another painting he, mm-hmm. he did. Um, a bystander photographed the robbers as they escaped to their car with the artwork. So the painting um, wasn't found at first, uh, but they put six suspects on trial and the, three of them were convicted. The Munch Museum closed for 10 months to overhaul their whole security system. And then in 2006, two years after it had been stolen, Norwegian police announced that the police operation had recovered both the Scream and the Madonna, but did not reveal detailed circumstances of the recovery. Interesting. And the paintings were said to be in better than expected condition. Um, And before they were... That's the black market shit, baby. Because people steal this shit and then they sell it to black market friggin' art collectors. And then they have it. Oh. Yeah. I just finished reading The Goldfinch, so I'm all all into this art shit. (laughs) Um, before they were, like, sent to be repaired, they were put up in the museum so people could see them with the damage. So, like, the scream had some, like, water damage or whatever in, in its corner. Um, but then eventually they were taken back and mm-hmm. fixed, and now they're they're put back up. They're Gucci, as they say. Yeah. It's all These Gucci. These kids. <laughs> so the Nor- Norwegian police were like, we found the painting. We're all Gucci. Like Silk suede swag, baby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so scream in or the scream in pop culture, because yes. obviously this has like infiltrated our yes. society. Oh. Um, okay, so in 1983 and 84, pop artist Andy Warhol made a series of silkscreen prints copying works by Munch, including the scream, and his stated intention was to desacralize the painting by making it into a mass reproductible object. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um, the expression of Kevin McAllister in the poster for the movie Home Alone was inspired by the scream. <laughs> uh, cartoonist Gary Larson included a tribute to the scream entitled The Wine in his Wiener Dog art painting and cartoon compilation in which the central figure is replaced by a howling dachshund. So I've, um, I've seen hello? this before when I've looked at like, well, so if you don't know, my family has a dachshund and a mini dachshund. And Peanut. when I've looked at, like, dachshund artwork, as you do, um, <laughs> of I've seen this before of the dachshund, like, doing the scream face. Okay, we might have to share that on social. Yeah, no, we will. Um, okay, so the 
uh, alien antagonist in the 2011 BBC uh, Doctor Who series named The Silence have an appearance partially based on the screen? I don't watch Doctor Who, do you? I do. Which was it again? 2011, the BBC. Do you know which doctor it was? No. Okay, sorry. That's a that's a question that Doctor Who fans have to ask. Well, I'm only like I'm like a half Doctor Who fan from like five years ago. I'm not even gonna pretend that I know, <laughs> but uh, they're in that. Um, a patient resource group for trig- trigeminal neuralgia, which has been described as one of the most painful conditions in existence. It means when you get like sh- sharp shooting pains, like in half of your face. Oh. Um, they use the image as a symbol of the condition in one of their, like, uh, patient resource groups. Oh, shite. They've adopted it. Um, It's also an emoji face. It is. uh, Which we will obviously use when we tweet about this episode. (laughs) Um, A simplified version was considered by the U.S. Department of Energy to use it as a non-language-specific symbol of danger in order to warn future human civilizations of the presence of radioactive waste. Whoa. So they, they didn't end up using it, but you can um, see, like, what the sketch was. It's kind of like a simplified version, but it is someone with their hands, uh, you know, screaming. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's, like, thinking that in the future humans might not, you know, who knows what language they'll be speaking. Right. But they can see that picture and know, like, that means that, like, something's not good here. Yeah, like, watch out. Yeah. So or maybe they'll of, be like, oh, Edvard. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Edvard Mooch. He's Gucci. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny. Damn. Um, okay. Um, the Simpsons, obviously. <laughs> of course. Yeah, they have like, the scream comes up in two different episodes. Um, but one of my favorites, uh, it's a dream Homer has about a museum. And he dreamed that he played foosball with the scream after he won a <laughs> match against Michelangelo's David. <laughs> I love that. And then perhaps my favorite uh reference to the scream is the ghost face mask from scream the the series i you know that is i did not know that but now that you say that it's like duh yeah hello so a little bit about me i love horror movies um and scream (laughs) is like one of my all-time favorite series it's just so like funny and good um okay so the ghost face it's called ghost face in the movie it's based on yeah it's based on a painting and Rumor has it that um, Wes Craven found the painting or found this mask when he, they were doing like location scouting in one of the houses. Like some kid had it, and he was like, "I want to use that mask for the movie." So it was originally designed by Fun World, which is like a Halloween costume company. Mm-hmm. Um, it was designed by a woman named Sorry, my ma- my notes are all over the place. Um, Bridget Slayerton. Uh, so she designed it. She designed a bunch of masks for Fun World, and they were being sold in just, like, regular Halloween stores. That's why, like, this kid probably who lived in this house that they were going to film in had it. Mm-hmm. And Wes Craven was like, I love this. I want to use it. The whole idea was that, like, the killer could have just bought the mask at a Halloween store. So it could be anyone. Yeah. Um so he talked to Fun World about it, and they were like, hey, can we buy this mask? Fun World called the mask, like, the peanut-eyed killer. <laughs> And Fun World knew that Wes Craven really liked this. They were like, yeah, you can use it if you pay us, like, a ton of money. And then uh, the the studio was like, no, we're not paying that much for it. So they actually designed a different mask, which has different eyes. They look a little different. They're not peanut-shaped. They're more like um, – they look kind of like 
like ha- crescent moons. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the mask that's used in the opening scene with Drew Barrymore in the first Scream movie. But um, after that, then Fun World's like, no, 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 actually, you can use our mask. They came up with a better agreement. There was less money because Fun World realized, hey, if you guys use our mask in the movie, then people are going to buy this mask for Halloween. Right. Um, Hello. Yeah. So then that's how they ended up getting licensing to use the Fun World mask. Um, and then they changed the name from Peanut-Eyed Killer to Ghostface. Um, obviously, the film was a massive success massive success and then the mask has since become one of the most popular halloween costumes ever my brothers had one that like you could squeeze a thing and like blood would come down it yeah oh yeah yeah. i've seen those um okay so interestingly enough there's a scream tv show um on mtv i think i've watched it on it's on netflix or it's on (laughs) hulu uh but they didn't use the ghost face mask Um, what why not Okay, the show's producer said that because in the show, the mask is tied to the origins of the killer instead of simply being, as they note, a one ninety nine costume the killer grabs in a costume shop and threw on just to be anonymous or to scare people. Yeah, I don't really know that. What is his costume then? In They're just, you can't really see their face, oh. I think. It's just like a black hood. Oh. They may have like another mask, but they're not using the original ghost face mask for sure. Um that explanation doesn't really make any sense. I mean, I guess because it's so tied maybe to the original killer in the, like, Sounds like they couldn't movie. get licensing yeah. to use the friggin' mask again. Which is what people say. Like, they probably just didn't want to pay the licensing fee for the new mask. Um, so, yeah, there's no Ghostface Killer mask in the, the newest I version see. of Scream. Yeah, so that's it. That's Scream, baby. And that's Edward and that's Munch. All, and that's the Munch Museum <laughs> in Oslo, Norway. Yes. <laughs> Oslo being a... Crossword ease clue. Anyway. Yeah. Also, it's crossword ease. Yes. Well, that was a really good topic. Yeah. I really like Edvard Munch a lot. Mm-hmm. And I love this, the scream a lot. And I love the film. I think it's 1987. It's mm-hmm. called Boon- Munch. Go see it. It's very good. Is it like a documentary? Or no, it's film? like a biopic sort of. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Yeah. It's very good. Anyway. Um, are we ready? I'm ready. Okay, so my topic is from the Tuesday New York Times, August 13th, by Lynn Lemple as well. 36 across. Valuable bar at Fort Knox. Ingot. Oh, right. Nice. Ingot is like a block of metal, in case you didn't know, because like I didn't really know. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I'm talking today about Fort Knox. I feel like there's a lot of conspiracy theories about Fort Knox. There's okay. a lot. I am ready. <laughs> I'm excited about this one. This you is know a what? lot of fun. I love a fun. good conspiracy yeah. theory. This is a lot of fun to research. We're going to get conceptual here. We're going to see what we can come up. We might crack the code. So I guess we'll find out. Okay. Fort Knox is a United States Army post in Kentucky. It sits on 109 acres. I should state here that Fort Knox, as we know, and we say Fort Knox, we think about gold, right? Yeah. Fort Knox, like as like a thing, a place on a map, is not the place where their gold is stored. <gasps> we'll get there, though. Fort Knox, however, is an army post in Kentucky. Um, it's in Bullitt, Hardin, and Meade counties in Kentucky, and it's named after Henry Knox, who was the chief of artillery in the Revolutionary War and the first United States Secretary of War. So if you know, if like there's places in the United States named like Knox, for instance, they're probably named after him. Knoxville? For exactly. Knoxville, Tennessee <laughs> is named after Henry Knox. Um, there's a Knox County in Illinois. It's named after him. Um, there you go. 
Um, so the first army fortifications in that area were constructed in 1861, and they were called Fort Duffield, um, which was on a hill overlooking the Salt and Ohio Rivers. Um, and this was a highly contested area during um, the Civil War because of its like strategic military placement. I don't know much about strategic military placements. but <laughs> I don't either, so it all sounds good to me. Yeah, sounds good. Um, sounds Gucci. Gucci-rooney. Okay. Um, and so after the Civil War, the United States Army and other small communities occupied this area, like right on the river there. Um, and it was closer to a place called West Point, Kentucky, which is approximately a 13-minute drive to the main entrance of what is now Fort Knox. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to give you some geographical understanding of where the first fortifications were versus where the main entrance is now. Anyway, um, in 1918, the government released 20,000 acres to construct a permanent army training center in the area, and it was called Camp Knox. Um, and it became actually a semi-permanent training center for the 5th Corps area for reserve officer training, the National Guard, and the Citizens Military Training Camps. Um, which the citizens military training camps is just like bananas to me. It's from 1921 to 1940. It was like a program where male citizens could get basic military training without any obligation to be called up for active duty. You could just like show so, up and they would like teach how to shoot a gun and shit. Oh, no. Could you imagine if that was like still a thing? I don't know. Is that still a thing? I feel like the Boy Scouts is basically that, right? <laughs> no. The Boy Scouts are being militarily <laughs> Train. Well, they're being taught how to shoot a gun. That's for sure. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Don't you? Didn't you go to camp and like? Were you in Girl Scouts and they had like you could shoot guns and shit? Well, I wasn't Girl Scouts. I never went to camp for it. I did go to camp and shoot guns, but I don't know. I think Boy Scouts learn how to shoot bone arrows. Boy Scouts are more about like camping. I think that's true. And, I'm, like, I'm generalizing, and my boyfriend who was a Boy Scout is going to be like, "You're an idiot." Is he a Boy Scout or an Eagle Scout? He was Boy Scout. His brother got the Eagle Scout. Matt didn't get an Eagle Scout. I know. Wow. Can you believe? <laughs> Just kidding. Is he editing? No, he's not editing. No, he's not editing this one, so. (laughs) He'll have to hear it when he's biking. A tear rolls down his face. (laughs) Uh, Well, we love you, I guess. Um, No, we really do. Um, So during World War II, uh, Camp Knox was used as the United States Army Air Forces as a training base. Um, And in 1932, it was turned into a permanent garrison and renamed Fort Knox, and that's where the 1st Cavalry Regiment and the 7th Cavalry Brigade moved in. And so cavalry, like, back in the day, was, like, horses and shit, mm-hmm. basically. So, like, get on your horses and oh, stampede, whatever. Um, but as technology progressed, the cavalry divisions kind of transitioned into the armor. Robotic horses. Yes, exactly. Robot horses, um, which you can see pictures of online. <laughs> um, an armored division as tanks and stuff. And so... Oh. The U.S. Armored Forces was established at Fort Knox in 1940 and remained there until 2010 when they moved to Fort Benning. And that was, like, where the Armed Force School was and the Armed Force Replacement Center. So now they're not at Fort Knox. They're at Fort Benning. Fine. Um, By 1943, there's 3,820 buildings on 100,000 acres, basically. Well. Yeah. Um, And in 1993... October 18th, 1992. Oh. Was it 93 or 92? I don't know! Well, and okay, I think it was 93. Uh huh. Arthur Hill went on a shooting rampage on the grounds. Oh, no. Yes. 
Um, so Arthur Hill was an army base supply clerk, and he was recently passed up for a promotion. So mm-hmm. he killed his boss and two of his coworkers and severely injured two others. Then he drove 40 miles from Fort Knox to the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Louisville, walked into the restroom and shot himself in the head, but didn't die until three days later. Oh, my God. See, and then people say, like, people are crazy. Like, the world is so crazy these days. When was that? In 1940? No, that was 1993. Oh, still. But in the, like... Yeah. Shit was still happening. You just didn't hear about it I as know. much. Yeah. Um, 2013. Well, actually, I don't know. I was two in 1993. So yeah. maybe people did know about this. <laughs> Someone would be like, uh, everyone knew about that. Right. Well, they don't teach it today in school. I mean, yeah. we only hear about Columbine and Sandy Hook. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Let's move away from school shootings. Yes. And- <laughs> so, but we're going to go to a different shooting. 2013, okay, April 3rd, a civilian employee was shot and killed in the parking lot by a soldier stationed at Fort Knox, um, who later pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. What was the motive? I couldn't find it. Okay. Oh, I didn't. Well, that's comforting. Yeah. Um, So do not go to Fort Knox parking lot. Yeah. Or become an army clerk. You know, two shootings. Great. Anyway, uh, Fort Knox is one of four army posts that still have high schools located on the base. Oh, I guess for people's kids. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's so many. There's like. I think the last time they did a census there on Fort Knox that I could find or like I wasn't digging too much, but it was like in 2000. So they haven't done a census there in a while. Mm-hmm. And so they had something like 12,000 families, Fort Knox or something. Well, I could be wrong, but 12,000 was a number I saw. Anyway, so that's what I got for Fort Knox. We're going to move into the gold. We're going to get, get down in goldy. Uh, uh, uh. She just a, rolled her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a stretch, I think. Well, you know, okay, so the United States. You should have said we're going to go for the gold. Okay, we're going to go for the gold. (laughs) Edit that so it sounds like she. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Digging in to the earth where the gold is. (laughs) The United States Boyan Depository Mm -hmm. is often referred to as Fort Knox. It is not Fort Knox. Fort Knox is the army base. This is the depository. And the depository is, um, like, right next to Fort Knox. So okay. that's why people think they're the same thing. And, I mean, it's great to have, like, if you're going to store all your gold in one place, I guess, right next to where there's a massive army base is a great place to do it. Yeah. Anyway, so Fort Knox, a.k.a. the United States Boyan Dispensary. <laughs> yeah. It or depository. The same, the same ring to yeah. it. It's a fortified vault. Um, and it's operated uh, by the United States Department of the Treasury. Um, and the vault is used to store a large portion of the United States gold reserves, as well as other precious items belonging to or in custody of the federal government. Um, and so more of the gold reserves, I believe, are in the New York Federal Reserve in New York State. Um, the building was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1988 as its status for, quote, well-known landmark that is referred to frequently in factual and fictitious contexts. Cool. <laughs> That's all you need. Is if you're referred to fictitiously, you yeah. become a national landmark. Exactly. Yeah. So there we go. Um, and it currently holds, apparently, 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 147 million troy ounces of gold bullion. That's what the government wants you to think. LOL. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> If you believe the government, then you're just living a lie, um, which is basically half of the Treasury's stored gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it, the depository was built in 1936 on the land transferred from Fort Knox 
to the Treasury Department. Um, and its purpose was to hold gold then stored in New York City and Philadelphia. In New York City underneath Times Square. Yes, that's exactly where it is. Yeah. You, you just take like a big drill and you just go right into the center of Times Square and you drill down. You'll About hit, like a foot and a half, I think. Yeah, you'll like hit gold. Yeah. You'll hit gold! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the reason they were moving all the gold from New York and Philadelphia was to keep with the strategy of removing the gold from coastal cities because they were afraid of military attack. Mm. And they were like, yeah, we shouldn't Kentucky have... Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's like, where the... F- why? <laughs> I was talking to Nicole about this and she was like, why the fuck is this shit in the middle of Kentucky? She's like, I bet it's so that nobody can fucking come in here and steal our gold. And then the research shows you're you're right. It's exactly right. Um, Kentucky's in the middle of nowhere. So several military advantages from moving, like, the gold there was an army attacking from the eastern seaboard would have to, like, come through the Appalachian Mountains, mm-hmm. which is considered, like, a very Difficult. reasonable <laughs> yeah, impediment. Um, Fair. At the time, it was also isolated from railways and highways, which would also, you know, hinder attacking. Um, and air travel to the location was difficult because you have to cross the mountains. Um, and also, at the time, it was where the armies only completely, like, their cavalry was located. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's most secure place in the country. It is. Um, and the gold vault was completed in December of 36 for $560,000, equivalent to $8,100,000 in 2018. Wow. Can you believe um, so the first set of gold shipments occurred in the first half of 30, 1937, and the second half was completed in 1941. And these shipments were overseen by the United States Post Office Department. Oh, God. The golden age of the post office, everyone. I just, I've had some trouble with the post office in my day, and I can't imagine sending gold bullion, like, yeah, through the mail. Yeah, my sister mailed me my gold rings that I left at her apartment from New York, and only one made it back. So. <gasps> Are you serious? Oh, I didn't tell you this. No. Yeah. Well, only, okay. Was it insured? No. Two were gold and one wasn't gold. The shell one that I always wore. Oh, right. Yeah, it's not there on your hand. It's gone now. The post office took it. That happens, though. I don't know. No, I think what happened was that, that like, you, you can't mail, <laughs> Elisa, if you're listening, you can't mail anything that's not flat in, like, a letter envelope because they put that through a panini press type thing. So, like, if anything is sticking out, it looked. I felt like the ring probably made a hole in the envelope, and then two of the rings fell out, and one made it. My favorite one made it, so that's all that mattered. But Oh, god damn. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's okay. I got a – speaking – this is interesting because I – had a forwarding address, forwarding thing set up when I moved apartments, and I had a T-shirt that was getting shipped to my old apartment. Mm-hmm. And in the time period of the forwarding address, and like three months later, the T-shirt arrived yesterday. <laughs> Wait, but you moved it. I know. It was supposed to arrive. Um, no, it was two months late. It was supposed to arrive at the very beginning of June. Yeah. And it arrived yesterday. Wow. Well, at least it arrived at all. Yeah. And I would call the post office periodically to be like, hello? <laughs> but my branch of the post office never answers their damn phone. We appreciate all USPS workers. Yes, Matt's dad actually works in the U.S. Postal <laughs> Service. <laughs> but it but is I struggling at some I don't points. know if I, at this point I would mail, like, millions of dollars in gold <laughs> through them. That's just me. Yeah, anyway, so. Um, okay, so during World War II, the signed original Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation, Lincoln's second inaugural address, and drafts of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address were stored in the vault for protection, as well as a copy of the Gutenberg Bible and an exemplified copy of the Magna Carta. 
which are all like the most important, some of the most important things. That just take a picture of them. <laughs> it's true. I don't know. <laughs> Upload it to the What's internet. What's the big deal? <laughs> People are so precious about their freaking original documents. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so the items were packed in four crates and then shipped by train. Was this with the United States Postal Service? We may never know. Um, and the vault was invulnerable to bombing attacks. So like that's why it was really safe. But the documents were vulnerable to changes in temperature and humidity, and yeah. s- as well as tiny insects. So they had to take special special precautions, such as the documents being locked in bronze containers that had been heated for six hours to drive off moisture. And then the containers were then embedded in mineral wool and placed in wooden cases hermetically sealed with lead, which means like airtight. Um, and then an air conditioning unit and calcium chloride dryers were installed in the vault and frequent inspections were made. Oh, so they have their own AC in there? <laughs> Nice. What's rent? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and then in October of 44, all the items were returned to the Library of Congress, and the Magna Carta was returned to England in 46. Oh. Um, and after World War II, the depository held the crown of St. Stephen, which is like the the important crown for the country of Hungary. Um, Why are we holding it? So members of the Royal Hungarian Guard gave the crown of St. Stephen, as well as other Hungarian crown jewels, including a gold scepter and orb, um, and a gold-encrusted mantle to the United States military authorities because they feared that the crown would otherwise fall into Soviet hands. Oh. Um, and then, yeah. Sorry, the U.S. doesn't have – we don't have, like, crown jewels and scepters <laughs> here <laughs> to protect. Yeah, well, we did right after World War II. Um, so apparently all this stuff from Hungary was kept in Germany under U.S. custody for several years and then was transferred to Fort Knox for safekeeping and then returned to Hungary in 78. Why did we have it for so long? I mean, maybe this has to do with, like, the iron block. I don't really I, – I don't know Hungary's um, relationship to being part of the Soviet Union. I don't know mm-hmm. when – if they were folded in and when they were released, if they were. I can't remember. I imagine it's also, like, a hassle to transport this stuff. So, like, yeah, yeah, and we know we have to give Hungary back their <laughs> scepter. We'll do it. Right, exactly. Um, today, the vault holds – it's known to hold – quote unquote known 10 1933 double eagle gold coins which one was auctioned off for seven million five hundred and ninety thousand dollars so that's insane um and the 1933 double eagle um was like a coin that they minted it was just like um a a twenty dollar coin i think Mm -hmm. and it was pure gold but in 1933, after the, all these coins were minted, um, President Roosevelt stopped the coinage of gold and made it illegal to own the metal, like, in that way as coinage. Mm-hmm. And so none of these coins are in circulation. That's why they're so rare. There's only so many of them. And 10 of them are sitting in Fort Knox, apparently. Um, there is one 1974D aluminum penny in the vault, which, again, was like – it's like a one-cent coin that the United States mint – Pressed, I think, what, how many was it? 1,571,167 coins, mm-hmm. which is actually a lot. But it was basically coin to to mint the copper version of the penny. It was getting to be too expensive. And so they created this new, like, aluminum one. Yeah. And they were like, to the Congress, they're like, we should change over to this. Blah, blah, blah. It didn't get approved. And so none of the coins that they minted went out into public, like, so circulation. they're all just hanging out? Well, what happened was before it was said, no, we're not doing this, the Mint gave a couple to some of the senators or mm-hmm. no, the congressmen to be like, look how great they are. Um, and then when they were like, no, the Mint was like, give them back. But some of them like went out into like, you know, 
people. Yeah. You know, us plebeians, I guess you could say. Anyway, so we have one of them in Fort Knox, apparently. Um, And then there's also 20 gold, 22 carats uh, Sacagawea dollar coins that flew on on one of the space shuttles. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, This was really interesting. In 55, the Defense Logistics Agency began storing opium and morphine at the depository um, and at the West Point Mint. They were freaking out because they were nervous that if we went into another war, we wouldn't have enough drugs to, like, treat our soldiers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Um, the stockpile grew to 68,269 pounds, which was enough to meet the legal painkiller needs of the entire United States for one year if supplies were cut off. Wow. Every single person in the United States? Yes, exactly. Um, so we're good, guys. Yeah. We're covered. But according to the public affairs questions and answers and fact sheet from the U.S. Mint obtained through FOIA request number 2017 <laughs> the morphine is no longer stored at Fort Knox. What happened to it? Good question. Just like I asked about where's the gold, where's the gold? We'll find out. Um, <laughs> my notes in here are so funny. The depository is a secure facility. LOL, is it? <laughs> so it has a fence perimeter and a granite-lined concrete st- structure. Um, it is encircled by rings of razor wire and minefields, and the grounds are monitored by high-resolution night vision video cameras and microphones. Mm-hmm. Cool. The subterranean vault is made of steel plates, I-beams, and cylinders encased in concrete. Its torch and drill-resistant door is 21 inches thick and weighs 20 short tons. Oh, my God. It's cuckoo. Um, and then this is really fucking cool. There's an escape tunnel from the lower level of the vault to be used by someone who has been accidentally locked in. <gasps> so if you get locked in, you can get out. And then this will go, and you'll, like, pop up into the main building. But you can only – the door only for that out. escape – can only be used if the main vault door is closed. Oh, okay. So, I like, see. you know, if you were if you were like, I'm going to open the vault today, and I, like, popped in there, and I was like, I'm going to use a secret hatch. If the main vault door is still open, I couldn't use a secret hatch, apparently. Yes. Um, the vault door is set in a 100-hour time lock and can only be opened by members of a depository staff who must dial separate combinations, and visitors are not allowed inside. Um and, like, the term, it's so secure, apparently, that the term safe as Fort Knox is, like, a metaphor for safety and security now. Although I've mm-hmm. never, ever heard anybody say that. But I've heard people say, like, they're, like, uh, well, now, obviously, I can't think off the top of my head. <laughs> but people are, like, man, she's, like, Fort Knox. Like, you can't, like, Fort Knox is synonymous with, like, closed off. Sure. Oh. Like, in relation to, like, a person's personality? Yeah. Interesting. Or, like, they keep this... I don't know. Now, obviously, I can't think of an right, example. Right. Well, but I, I trust like, you. I trust you. I say, like, this building is like Fort Knox. It means, like, you can't get in there. Sure. The museum okay. is like Fort Knox. I don't know. I feel like I've heard Well, that apparently, before. the Munch Museum is not like Fort Knox. No. So. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> when the Olympics are going on, you can just walk around willy-nilly. And You're like, hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's only three reported occasions when guests outside the Treasury Department have made inspection and tours of the vault. The first was President Roosevelt in 43. And the second inspection was made by members of the United States Congress and the news media um, in 1974, led by the director of the United States Mint, Mary Brooks. The tour was in response to a conspiracy theory circulated by a guy named Peter David Better that Elites had secretly removed the gold in the depository and that the vaults were empty. (gasps) Yes. So I actually, years ago, watched like a conspiracy documentary about this, and they showed footage from that – inspection and like yeah. you see the gold but i want to be like is it really the real gold 
Right. They can do everything in CGI now. They can. <laughs> um, and then third, a third inspection was on October 21st, 2017. <laughs> that was very recently. Yes. Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen M- Munchen, Treasury, Treasurer of the United States, Jovita Carranza, and other staff accompanied Senate Majority Leader and Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell, a.k.a. Moscow Mitch, <laughs> um, <laughs> Kentucky Congressman Brett Guthrie, and Kentucky Government Governor Matt Bevan into the vault. Yeah. It was, they could all be in on it. They could. This note here is Moscow Mitch absolutely tried to get his shitty, greedy hands on that gold. <laughs> so, which is funny, okay, because he's like, you know, Mitch McConnell, whatever you want to say about him. But I looked him up this morning just to, like, see, like, what's going on with Mitch today? Because there's always something going As on. As you do every morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a Russian company with ties to the Kremlin made a major investment in a new mill in Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's home state of Kentucky weeks after McConnell killed sanction on Russia, according to the Washington Post. Kentucky. That's where Mitch is from. That's where the vaults are. That's all I'm saying. So I'm not, saying he's trying to give Russia access to the vault? I think Mitch McConnell's trying to give Russia access to a lot of things. Yeah. So, <laughs> hello? <laughs> anyway, so just so you know, stay woke. Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> I'm surprised didn't say wake up sheeple. This is your tagline. I know, wake up sheeple. Um, current holdings as of July 31st, 2009, um, 147.34 million troy ounces of gold reserves. Um, which is $210.8 billion, representing 56.35% of the gold reserves in the United States. Um, and so the gold bars held in the depository are approximately seven inches long, three and a half inches wide, and one and three or three quarter inches thick. Okay. Just so you know. You know what those gold boyan yeah. looks like, you know? It's like a brick of a gold. A brick of gold, folk. Okay, so we're going to get into the fun shit, the conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. So several news sources and some politicians have questioned how much gold is really in Fort Knox. Mm -hmm. I question this every damn day. Every time anybody says something about Fort Knox, I'm like, there's no gold inside. I don't actually know, but I like to say that. Um, So the U.S. government apparently has sold a lot of gold in the past with national reserves falling from 20,000 metric tons in the early 50s to 8,133 metric tons in 2013. Um, and rumors surfaced in early 1970s that Richard Nixon had sold most of the gold, most of, if not all of the gold to um, the British. Um, because Nixon was the one who took us off the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know what the gold standard is, it's like when our paper money is backed up by literal gold. We're currently on the fiat system, which is a monetary system, which is not based on it's based on the fiat cars yes yeah from italy yeah um so there you go um and yeah because of everybody was like off freaking out about this richard nixon taking us off the gold standard and maybe he sold all the gold to the british that's why um that 1974 news thing happened where they went into the vaults (laughs) um Sources differ on when exactly america's gold was last counted possibly due to like where all the gold is stored. But American gold holdings were reportedly last audited in 1953, which included testing for purity. Because not only is there gold inside, but you have to test it for purity because you can either have gold made from the metal into bars or you can melt gold coins down and make them into bars. And each of those um, 
compositions of gold are yeah. different. And so you like they're not exactly 100% gold anyway. So not only do we have to count it to make sure it's there, we have to test it to make sure that it's real. Yeah. So when they went in in 74 and they were like, here's all the gold bars. I'm like. it's been gold plated. Exactly. You don't know. It's really concrete. Yep. Um, some people say that it was counted in 86 and then the vault was sealed. Um, but everyone seems to agree that it's been a very long time, even though the Treasury representatives say um, they know what's on the inside. Uh, apparently. They don't know. They don't Never know. know. <laughs> uh, in 2009, a shipment of. Um, there was a report that there were shipments of U.S. gold to China, but it turned out that those were actually tungsten metal bars and not gold metal bars. Classic, classic mix-up. Classic. Um, and so some conspiracy theories say that the government gold um, was used initially as collateral for borrowing, and later, and later they would skim bits of gold from the tops of the bar and sell <gasps> that as money um, and selling off the bullion wholesale. Anyway. Um this people think that like the reason why there's so much conspiracy about the gold in Fort Knox is because Britain's controversial but not secret sale of most of its gold. So Britain sold its gold um, in between 1999 and 2002, mm-hmm. um, and so like they sold that like right before 9/11 and right after 9/11, uh, gold, the price of gold skyrocketed apparently. Um, and you can look this up: sale of UK gold reserves. In Google. How does it connect to 9-11? Um, I think it's just like a date people are using to say like after okay. 9-11 gold skyrocketed. Maybe because there's like a lot of fear in general about was the world ending. I mean, yeah. the whole th- like when, the whole thing about these conspiracy theories about like whether or not our money is worth anything. Pe- people who believe in this shit like legitimately will get rid of all their assets, like move into the forest and like live off canned food for the rest of their life and just like hoard as much like precious metals and shit as they can yeah because they think eventually like our the economy will will mean nothing our economy will collapse and then they'll be the only ones that have anything that's quote-unquote worth anything cool (laughs) so that's why people are like one of the many reasons why people freak out about this and like get really locked on that's why you should become an eagle scout yes exactly to live on the land yeah matt hello (laughs) um Ron Paul, a.k.a. Never Trust a Man with Two First Names, um, was a past supporter of returning to the gold standard. We No nation is on the gold standard right now, I should just say. We're over it. We're into silver now. <laughs> um, Ron Paul called for a new audit to make sure that all the gold was still there and that it was all pure. Um, so Paul's concerns seem to have become have been because like apparently the Federal Reserve of New York has the power to sell or trade gold secretly. Mm-hmm. So that's where some of our gold is held. And so Paul was like, they can just sell the gold without telling the American people we should make sure that's actually there. But again, Paul, we're not on the gold standard. Anyway, um, so to perform a full test that all the gold is held by the United States government is there and to check their composition would cost anything from $15 million to $60 million. It's not worth it. We don't have that much gold to cover that. (laughs) Exactly. So we have to spend all our gold to make sure we have our gold. Right. So, well, that's it. That's it. That's all I got for you. All right. On the Fort Knox. Do you think that the gold is in Fort Knox? I think that there is gold in Fort Knox. I don't think maybe there's as much as the government wants us to believe there is. Right. Don't trust But does it really matter? Does, 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 does the dollar matter? in my wallet matter? I don't know. 
I was I was rereading through my notes this morning on the train, and I was just looking around at everybody. Like she had a Michael Kors bag, and he had Adidas sneakers, and I was like, none of this matters. That's true. That stuff doesn't matter. I don't know. Conspiracy theories are fun though to go yeah. down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, Could have deep dived there. You know what I realized huh? as I was listening to you talk about um, Munch. Munch. We didn't introduce ourselves at the very beginning of the episode. Oh, we didn't. And so Edvard they had no. <laughs> so nobody. And I am Ron Paul. No, I'm not. Um, so nobody here knows who we are. <laughs> if you've made it this far, yeah, this is the first time you're listening to us. Um, I'm Grace, and I'm Chelsea. We're the Good Evening Girls. We are. We like to talk about this stuff. We like to talk about the crossword. Yeah. So if you liked us, please rate and subscribe and review and all that good stuff and follow us on Twitter. We are at the Good Eve Girls. You can also follow us on Instagram, the Good Evening Girls. We have some fun little things happening over there occasionally. Yeah. From Sometimes. Time to time. Yeah. From time you see to time. a picture of me as a child in front of the Statue of Liberty. Yes. Which I know everyone has been asking for. Yes. Um, We've gotten lots of requests. So Yeah. So that's it. That's that and a bag of chips. Alrighty. Until next time. Until next time, count your gold, folks. And protect your paintings. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.